Our Father, we thank you again for another opportunity to open your word and consider another common temptation uh, that we all face, struggle with, and have the opportunity to help others with. We pray again for insights from your word that you would grant us understanding and the ability to to love you and others in light of this struggle with anger and its various manifestations. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so you're probably going to notice, um, in fact, I was just reviewing the session. I don't think I've taught the two of these right together before. There's a lot of overlap between anxiety and anger as far as the remedy, the reasons for. Um, and so I thought that was, was kind of interesting to reflect upon a little bit. And for those of you who went through track one, I'm going to be pulling some of what I taught there and gearing it towards your exam question. And so some of this will sound a little bit familiar, but I trust it will be beneficial as you work through uh, the exam. So let's go ahead and start with a question here. Provide a biblical definition of anger. Describe manifestations of anger in both. Here we have it again, the inner and outer man. Explain the biblical factors that drive anger and detail several biblical strategies to respond to anger. And so this is a a question that's very relevant because we all know somebody else who struggles with anger, right? (laughs) So we'll all be given opportunities with others. Uh, It was interesting, several years ago, um, Robert Jones uh, was here speaking at the conference, and he got his doctoral uh, dissertation wrote on the subject of anger. And so he noted in his research that uh, one out of one people deal with anger. And he also made a really brilliant observation that if married, that statistic goes two of two. And then if you add a couple children to that, it doubles and it's now four of four. And so the point of that is this is something that we are all familiar with experientially as well as helping others who also struggle with this. And so the question that we're going to start with, as we did with anxiety, is all anger inherently sinful? We saw with anxiety, it's not necessarily all inherently sinful. You can have a godly concern, and that's a good thing. We should have more of that. And likewise, what about anger? Is all anger sinful? What would be your your main point to justify that? Righteous anger? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Most people are not ever really truly righteous anger. Yes. And so the ultimate example of this is all anger sinful. The answer is no, because God, Jesus, we see it throughout Scripture, are angry. And do they ever sin? No. OK. And so first point there, then God demonstrates anger, yet is without sin. In fact, Psalm 7, verse 11, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels what? Indignation. How often? Every day. And so as a righteous judge, why might God feel indignation every day? Sin, right? He is a holy God. He is a just God. And yet sin is rampant. And so there's a an anger there. John 3.36 tells us that the wrath of God remains, in essence, on those who reject his son. Those who remain at enmity with his son. Those who reject the provision that he's given to them to be reconciled unto himself. And so God demonstrates that anger can be utterly holy, right, good, and even a loving response to sin. And so in Romans 5, verses 8 9, we see in, in these two verses, uh, both anger and love demonstrated by God, and both are right and good. So Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, But God shows his, what? His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from what? From the wrath of God. And so in love, we see here that God poured out his wrath, not upon us, the ones who deserved it, but upon his son who did not deserve it. Right. So he took our sins upon himself. God put the wrath upon him that we deserved, and therefore 
God demonstrates love in making a way for us to be reconciled unto him. And so God's anger and wrath in that sense was holy, righteous, good, and loving. David Pallison summarized uh, anger in his booklet in this way. He says, The very fact that God gets angry tells us that anger can be utterly right, good, appropriate, beautiful, the only fair response to something evil, and the loving response on behalf of evil's victims. And so we see clearly in scriptures that God displays anger, and in his anger God is always good, and he is always right, and never is he sinning. But that then raises the question, what about our anger? It's already been stated that uh, though we can have righteous anger, probably I, I would say in my life, I have never, ever truly been completely, perfectly, righteously angry, even if perhaps at the onset of that anger, I got righteously anger with a pure motive somewhere along the line. It was tainted with sin in my response or my thoughts. Right. And and so though God is always perfect in his anger, we struggle with it. Now, you can make a case and we could talk a whole hour about how we should strive to um, reflect more of God's righteous angers in our lives. There, there are things that we should be righteously angry about and have proper loving biblical responses to that we're not too concerned about. Right. The evils of this world that we've grown cold and callous to that we probably ought to be a little more righteously upset over and respond biblically to. But that's another session. For this session, we're going to deal with the common problem of unrighteous anger and how that manifests. So let's start out then with anger. What is anger? And so a few definitions here that help us wrap our minds around this as we summarize what the scriptures say about it. Richard Baxter, the Puritan, defined anger as the rising up in the heart in passionate displacency against an apprehended evil which would cross or hinder us of what? Some desired good, something that we want. In other words, we're something, there's something that we want that we're not getting. It's interfered with. All right, David Pallison, in his booklet on anger, writes this, The Bible makes it clear that anger is not a thing. It is a moral act of the whole person. And similarly, Robert Jones in his his book, Uprooting Anger, gave this definition. He says, anger is a whole person active response of negative moral judgment against a perceived evil. Now, how many of you have ever heard someone else say, you make me so angry? Right, of course, we've never said that, but you've heard somebody else say that. Is that a true statement based upon these definitions? Is anger something that comes up on us from the outside, or is it something that rises up within us from the inside? Yeah. Do other people have the power to make you angry? Okay. And so anger is something that's rooted in the heart, in our own desires. We want something. We perceive something, we judge, interpret what we see, and if it's not what we want, the response can be that then of, of anger. So an example of this, um, you're driving down the road, somebody pulls out in front of you. How quickly can you get sinfully angry? The snap of the fingers, because you quickly determined that was not right. Okay, another illustration of how quickly you might be tempted to get sinfully angry or <laughs> grateful. Yes, all a matter of perspective. Some of you would perceive that showing this score that I just made you sinfully angry, right? But the reality is you ought to rejoice because the best team won. You might interpret that as being as being a bad thing. So again, it's all a matter of our perception and what we perceive to be good, right? And so if you're from Oklahoma, which I was so blessed to be, then I rejoice that the best team won. 
and, and maybe next time y'all will get a, a chance to uh, try to provoke me to anger. But I won't get angry because I'm not going to let that affect me, right? Because I'm going to respond biblically to that provocation. So others don't make us angry. Can others provoke us to anger, though? Certainly. But in that moment, what do we need to do? Pray, trust God, look to glorify him with the opportunity that's been given to us. Okay? And we'll talk more about the practicalities of that in a, minute, in a little bit. So why is it that we get angry and often so quickly? It's rooted in the heart. We see this very clearly in James chapter 4. And if you're working with somebody who's struggling with anger, this is going to be a passage you're going to want to help them understand, as well as probably some other text in, in James and elsewhere. But this passage says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you is it not your spouse is it not your children is it not your brother or sister is it not your boss no it's none of those things what causes those is it not this that your passions who's responsible we are as individuals are at war where within you You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And so when our our passions and our desires are messed with, what are we tempted to do? Get angry. Again, it's not the other person that makes us angry. It's that the other person is messing with my Desires are messing with my desire to be autonomous, my desire to be sovereign. There's an idol I want or something I'm not wanting that they're giving me, and, and they've messed with that. And so it's it's what takes place within the heart. Um, and so another consideration, how does Bible the Bible then describe sinful anger? Lots of descriptions, but what kind of really helps us think, oh, ouch, that hurts. Okay, that can be part of it. Okay. And what would be maybe an extreme version of sinning to get what you want? Somebody's in the way. Murder. Yeah, right? So you, what's it say there in James 4? You desire and do not have, so you murder. And so this kind of puts in perspective, sinful anger is mental murder. Okay, where do we see that in Scripture? Matthew five twenty one and 22, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And then 1 John 3.15 goes on to say, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, right? And so anger is an issue of, of the heart. It starts in the heart. And um, it, it's a very serious thing um, to be sinfully angry. It's one of those acceptable sins. Uh, if you think through Jerry Bridges' book, Respectable Sins, res- uh, yeah, I think it's Respectable Sins, anxiety and anger are two of those because we all struggle with it, right? We're frustrated. We have a right for to, to be resentful or whatever else from a human perspective. But the reality of it is it's a form of sinful anger. God calls it wrong, and we need to take it seriously and seek to put it off. So next part of this, what are manifestations of anger in both the inner and outer man? And the inner man, uh, one passage you might consider, Ecclesiastes 7, verse 9, do not be, or do not, uh, be not quick in your spirit to become angry. Quick where? Your spirit, soul, inner man. For anger lodges where? In the heart, inner man, of fools. Okay? Uh, another reference, Ephesians 4:31. Uh, talks about anger. The particular word there for anger is a settled attitude of indignation. Okay, Others may not necessarily see it being manifested, but it can be like a crock pot kind of stewing within. Okay, So those are examples of inner man. And if anger is lodged in the heart, then it's very likely another form of inner uh, anger is that of bitterness. Uh, unforgiveness or a hatred that lies within. 
Uh, it, it's been said, this is a good saying, it's been said that um, bitterness is like drinking poison while expecting the other person to die. Okay, we think that somehow we're, we're punishing them or we're getting even or trying to take control back or whatever it is. And, and the whole while, we're the ones that are, are suffering. We're, we're harming ourselves, our walk with the Lord in letting that sinful anger dwell within us. All right. And so how might such inner uh, anger be expressed in the outer man? Um, first examples we see in Scripture are that of the countenance. Uh, Proverbs 25:23 says the north wind brings forth rain in a backbiting tongue angry looks okay and so you probably all know of somebody else who has given you that look right and they were communicating I'm angry you better stop you better not mess with me you better get out of my way whatever it is okay and so anger can be manifested even in facial Expressions. We see another example of this in Genesis 4, verse 5. Um, the Lord did not regard Cain and his offering. And verse 5 says, So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Okay? And so just body language, countenance can reveal uh, anger, an outward manifestation of anger. Another one, a little more extreme, is that of ventilation. Ventilation is described by Jay Adams as the free verbal and physical expression of one's emotions, particularly of hostility. Okay? Maybe bitterness has been brewing within. At some point, that comes out. It spills over, right? They get um, violent in, in some way, uh, or verbally, they become rather profane in their speech. Proverbs 29.11, a couple passages that talk about this as well. A fool gives full vent to his spirit but a wise man quietly holds it back proverbs 29:22 a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression okay and so these are just some some illustrations of outward manifestations that we see in the scripture others if we jump back into ephesians chapter 4 Verse 31, there's a whole list there in verse 31 of sinful anger, all of which are to be put off. But three of them, as we talk about the outer man, uh, clamor. A clamor is like a verbal outcry. Okay, so it's something that's heard, anger heard. Uh, slander, same thing as heard. It's an in, uh, injurious speech towards another person, right? Uh, malice, also in verse 31, uh, maligning or injuring others, likewise in speech or perhaps even physically or in some other way, financial, whatever it may be. Uh, another example of that, Colossians 3.19, um, husbands, uh, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Harsh is an outward manifestation. Okay, it's anything that's not kind or loving or tender-hearted. It can be verbal. It can be physical. It can be in other ways. Um, but harshness is another outward manifestation. So those are some some examples that we see in Scripture. And so as we see these things in Scripture and also in, in the lives of those we work with, uh, what are biblical factors in that drive such sinful anger? Uh, biblical factors that drive sinful anger that appears to have jumped off the screen there. Um, the first being idolatry or uh, idols of the heart, desires of the heart, idolatry, desires of the heart. And so going back to James 4, 1 through 2, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You what? Desire in the heart, at the heart level, we desire and we do not have, so you murder. And so the, the world would tell us, um, that it is others or it is outside circumstances that make you angry. But again, what we see here, it's what takes place within us. It's those desires. Our ultimate desire ought to be texts like Matthew what, 22, 37, 39. Love the Lord your God, in essence, wholeheartedly and love your neighbor as yourself. Those ought to be our chief desires. But when that desire, you put self on the throne, um, then you're very prone to get sinfully angry very quick when others don't give you what you want or they give you what you don't want. Okay? Um, 
And so we live in an age that, that generally <laughs> thinks, especially post-COVID, mostly post-COVID, um, where we've got a, a generation, a country, um, that has increasingly grown in a sense of entitlement, right? Um, I deserve this. I need this. You owe me this. Uh, the IBC toolkit on anger gives some examples of, of rights that people feel entitled to. Uh, these desires, these idols that they have. So here's just a, a list of some of them they mention. One, the right to comfort, right? Freedom from responsibilities, freedom from pressure. The idol of comfort is a big one. There's a lot of people, they get angry because something's messed with their comfort zone, right? Something's made them uncomfortable. Uh, second one, a right to possessions and the use of them however I choose, Right, and so materialism can become an idol, or where that possession may be, uh, a right to good health, right to a loving, caring, committed spouse, right to marital fulfillment, right to have children who obey, respect, and appreciate you, uh, right to adventure and fun. And these are just some of the rights or the idols that have messed with. Um, we can get sinfully. Angry. If these things become ruling desires, then they often lead to some form of sinful anger. Uh, top of that, yeah, idolatry. It's a right to comfort. Yeah, the factors that drive sinful anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, biblical factors that drive. Did that cut off any other blanks? Only about to get angry because you can get all your blanks filled in. <laughs> no. Not that that would make you angry, but <laughs> okay. Okay, very good. All right. So as we think about rights and idols, uh, Ken Sandy um, really does a good job in summarizing this. Idols demand sacrifices. When someone fails to satisfy our demands and expectations. Our idol demands that he should suffer. Whether deliberately or unconsciously, we find ways to hurt or punish people so that they will give in to our desires. Mm-hmm. I think of some examples of that. Anybody ever been given the cold shoulder? Yeah. Silent treatment. Yeah, or on the other side. Aggressive ways, right? And so lots of examples. If we don't get what we want, we tend to express that to others if we're living according to selfish desires of the heart. Another factor that can foster sinful anger is, same with anxiety here, right? A failure to trust God. A failure to trust God. Uh, We would all acknowledge that God is sovereign and yet... What are we inclined to do when circumstances get hard? Look to ourselves. Mm-hmm, look to ourselves. Yeah, in which we get anxious. But also, if God is sovereign and something happened that goes against what I desire, who ultimately is sovereign over that? And so as we think about anger, and Robert Jones does a good job in his book, Uprooting Anger, talking about that ultimately all anger has an object, and that ultimate object is God himself, all sinful anger, right? Because if God is sovereign, why didn't he give me what I wanted when I wanted it? Or if God is sovereign, why didn't he keep me from whatever it is that I didn't want, right? And so oftentimes people struggle with anger We need to help them understand, one, this is an issue of the heart. And also, what is that heart relationship with God? What does their worship of God look like? Uh, And so I I had this conversation even this morning um, with somebody. And as I was hearing and talking, it was very apparent that ultimately this person was angry at God. Um, And that was really the source then of all these horizontal things is is they they weren't going to God with the Psalms and crying out to God. They were shaking their fist at God and that was then manifested horizontally towards others. So 
great resource. This is a bonus, probably not in here. Um, Robert Jones has a booklet, so he's got several good things on anger because he does dissertation on anger. Um, uh, there's a booklet called Angry at God? mark, And that is really, really good at helping us look at the heart of anger. And ultimately, we're refusing to accept the sovereignty of God and that he will ultimately make all things work together for the good. We're wanting our good. He's got a higher good. And we're angry at God when we don't see our good being fulfilled. Hey, was there a question? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and His with the fact that He ultimately He could have changed the circumstances of your life? Mm-hmm. We know God doesn't want people to be abused. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if He's in control, mm-hmm. well, He is in control. Mm-hmm. Then how do you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's obviously a, a really, really big question. Um, and we deal with this. We go to Guatemala twice a year and we deal with that pretty much. There, there's a home we work with. There's 25 to 30 kids. Most of the girls come in 11, 12, 13, 14 years of age pregnant because they've been sexually abused by a relative or somebody else. And and they're forced to be a parent or to give that child up. And And that's the question. How can I look to this God? How can this God be good in light of the stuff that's been allowed to happen? And I think ultimately, you know, we've got to present them, the God of the Bible and who he is, right? As we think about the greatest injustice and suffering that has ever happened, where do we find that? In all of history. At the cross, right? And out of the greatest injustice and suffering and unfairness that's ever happened, came the greatest good and so that's part of it god and his sovereignty orchestrates that we don't like it it doesn't feel good um, but god is always good he is good and he does good and even in the midst of i mean we could tell stories that doesn't go on and i'll be in tears in, in no time of the, the horrific things that have taken place there um, and yet he is sovereign over all those things Right. And and what we see is he's able to take, I mean, the ugliest, the most difficult suffering and sin and bring about the greatest good. And so in his sovereignty, we have to believe, again, those three things we talked about anxiety. Is God good? OK, and we need to be convinced that is God good? Is God able to bring good out of this? And then is he willing to do that? Will he do that? Is he loving? And if he is, all those three things, and you think about the essence and attributes of God, the more you know that, the more you know that God somehow will redeem this. I mean, what's Romans eight twenty eight, the verse that, that we should all have and cling to? You know, that all things work together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. Okay? That good... Oftentimes, in, in God's scheme of things, is a good far beyond what we can comprehend. We would have never thought of the cross, right? There was a good that came out of the greatest evil um, at the cross. And so, ultimately, we can't tell them this is exactly why God allowed this to happen, why this was orchestrated in your life. What we do know is that for those who love God, he's going to make this work for an ultimate good. And that ultimate good isn't a, a mystery, so to speak. It's revealed in verse 29 to conform us to the image of his son. And so God uses the greatest sufferings, the greatest injustices to cause us to look to the one who is just. Will God make right all those things? Yeah, he will, because he's good and he's just. But also he's merciful in the midst of that. And his, who he is is revealed in those things. So we could take... I mean, this is a whole other session of itself, right? Obviously. Um, but in the midst of those those questions, Romans 5, 8, 9 is a verse we can take them to. You know, in that we see God's justice, in that we see God's love. And so that's that's part of how we... But in, in a practical sense, too, um, 
And something, and we got to get back to the main focus of this, but as we think through, I think as Mike Emlett put this forth, and this is really helpful. Basically, there's, there's three categories of people. They're sufferers, they're sinners, and they're saints, right? In this fallen world, we're all sufferers, right? We all experience the, the curse and the effects of it, okay? There's also sinners, we're all sinners, right? Romans 5.12, we're sinners by nature and we're sinners by choice, right? And there's another category. For those who are in Christ, we're now saints. And so as we think through our, our situations and our temptation made to maybe to get angry, we need to remember and as we work with other people, one, ultimately, where are they at? Are they primarily um, in a, a situation of suffering? Are they primarily suffering because of their own sin? And ultimately, do they have the hope of Christ in the gospel? Are they a saint? And so in the midst of the suffering, there is no hope for them apart from a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, all things are made new. There's a new creation. There's all the promises are yes and amen in him. And, and all things one day, they'll look back, Romans eight eighteen, and 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 see... Um, though they can't understand it now, they're going to see the glory that is to be revealed. They may not see God's ultimate purposes and his, his daily purposes and what's going on, but God does have a purpose and he doesn't waste any suffering, right? And so just going back to, to God's promises and his person and, and those those truths are, are hugely helpful. Okay. Um, in that little booklet, Angry at God kind of helps weed through that a little bit. Another good one I picked up last time on that subject while we were there, Randy Alcorn in the bookstore downstairs. I'm about halfway through it now. A little booklet. Um, uh, how can God be good in the face of evil or, or something like that? And uh, it's, it's, it's been a really good read to answer that question. Okay. Um, so next, failure to trust God. Um, another factor that can foster sinful anger is a failure uh, to trust God. And so as we... Think through why why trust God and, and answering that question as well. Genesis 50, verse 20, uh, as you think through the life of Joseph, right? I mean, here's a guy that, though, sure, he may have flaunted his coat of many colors a little bit, possibly. His brothers were obviously jealous. They threw him in the pit and then sold him into slavery. Uh, here's a guy who was, was falsely accused and was put into prison for years. And at the end of all this, what did he conclude? Genesis 50, 20. As for you, what you meant, uh, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Okay, so in the midst of his suffering, his false accusations, his imprisonment, God was working good. Could Joseph see that in the midst of it? No, not really. But what did he do? Trusted God, And that's what we're called to do in the midst of suffering. God is able to redeem this and make this glorious and beautiful. And we know that he will. And one day we'll look back upon it and see that, though in this life we may not always see it, certainly not in its fullness. Uh, and so what do we do? We, we trust God. We talked about Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 last time. That's our calling in the midst of, of even hardships. Uh, so number four, what are some biblical strategies to respond to anger. Uh, seek what is eternal so as to not get angry over what is temporal. See a parallel to anxiety? Seek what is internal uh, so as to not get anxious over what is temporal, right? I mean, it's the same same remedies, the same principles to set our minds on those things that are above. So what are some... Uh, examples of temporal things we could easily get sinfully angry at. Somebody hit your car. <laughs> hit your car. Especially if it's a new one. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, we won't go too far that one. The election didn't go the way that you wanted. Right? All sorts of things we could get sinfully angry over. I think, yeah, I brought it. Um, so an example... I've used this before, so some of you this will be a repeat. But I have here a pen. Um, it's I like to hunt, so it's a bullet pen. It's got a deer antler. So I had a good friend, Harv Cox. I gave him a deer antler. He turned it into a really cool pen for me. And uh, this was a pen that, that uh, I used in my office all the time. I left it on my desk. And 
uh, on a Friday, and I had to come back on a Saturday afternoon and evening, and the pin was gone. Right? Normally, I would think, yeah, I just misplaced it. I'm getting old. You know, it's somewhere. Uh, and, and so I did look around, but I also remember succinctly, I left the pin right there, and it wasn't there. And so I did look around, make sure I'm going to make a false, false accusation or come across that way. But I also knew there was a certain person who had been in the church who had a certain son that didn't have the greatest character. And that person uh, had the ability to get into my office. And so I just call and say, I'm not making an accusation, but I think this could be an opportunity here. I had a pen that's on my desk. Is it possible that he could have gotten to my office and five-finger discount with my pen? And she said, oh, yeah, maybe. So she went and checked, and sure enough, in his room. So in that moment, I had an opportunity to get sinfully angry, right? He made me so angry. He took my favorite pen. That, that was actually my initial few-second response. And then was sanctified. Okay, here's an opportunity. But something that's temporal to take him to what's eternal. And so he came in, and, and we talked about, you know... What were you thinking, wanting when you did that? What's God call that? What are the, the end goal consequences for you in that action apart from the Lord Jesus? Um, and so I used that to present the gospel. And then as he left, said, you know what? Why don't you keep that pen? And every time you see it, I want you to remember the love and grace and mercy of God that are available to all those that will look to his son. And so a great gospel opportunity. I was something that to me was actually very valuable in a sentimental way, but was in the big scheme, it's going to burn anyways, right? <laughs> and so it was an opportunity. So you're asking, how did I get another one? Yeah. Well, the guy that made it was able to make me another one. <laughs> so I did get another one and don't take my pen. <laughs> or I'll share the gospel with you. I'm putting it right back in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> and so seek what is eternal so that we don't get angry over what is temporal. And so possessions, temporal things, are gifts or opportunities to point to greater things, right? And so again, what's going on in the heart? Matthew 6, and, and Jesus says it best, 19-21, passage we can also use with anxiety. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so, again, we want to keep an eternal perspective on temporal things. All right. Next, seek God's perspective regarding your anger. Seek whose perspective? How good are we at self-justifying our sinful anger? Pretty good. And that's why we need to cry out to the Lord, ask him to examine our hearts, to test our thoughts, to see if there be any grievous way within us, right? And so we need to, to seek him in that. What are some uh, some practical ways we can do that, some questions we can ask? Uh, a list here, and these I, I believe are from uh, Stuart Scott, yeah, from his booklet. And so if you get that booklet on anxiety, you, you got it for... For anger as well. He asked these questions. Am I angry at the kind of things at which God is angry? Okay, if my anger is going to be righteous, is it anger at the kind of things that God is angry about? Um, and then he gives these other questions. Are you sinning in your anger? Okay, and so is my anger a righteous anger? How can I know? Well, am I sinning in my anger? I'm committing a sin, transgression of God's clear revealed word, or am I omitting something I should be doing. And so, yes, I may be speaking the truth, but am I speaking the truth in love? Okay, so am I committing a sin or omitting something I should be doing in my anger? Also, are you thinking about yourself? Is the focus ultimately on loving God and loving others, or is this really all about your selfish ambition and and what you want? Back to idolatry. Uh, Three, are you demonstrating self-control? Are you living by the Spirit, fruit of the Spirit, or is this really about fleshly desires? And so those are good questions to ask as we think through, is this anger righteous or is this anger unrighteous? Uh, The Puritan John uh, Downame, excellent little book on anger, gives a good description of what true righteous anger is. He says, anger is just and righteous when it is occasioned by a just cause, 
is expressed in a godly manner, is fixed on the proper object, and endures for the appropriate time, and is directed toward holy means. Now, on that definition, how many of you are frequently righteously angry? <laughs> right. So we've all got some heart work to do here. What's the desires in our heart? What are we after? Um, we need to ask the Lord to search our hearts, test our thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way within us. Some other um, questions to ask as we consider our, our anger, what we're wanting. What is motivating my anger? What is behind it? What am I wanting? What am I desiring? How long has my anger been present? Uh, is this just a, a one-time thing, or is this an abiding issue that is turning into resentment and bitterness? Uh, what is the effect of my anger? Is my anger directed toward edification and unity or destruction and strife? And I think it's important to note as we, we think through anger and we look especially at, at texts like Ephesians chapter 4, uh, the texts there are things to be put off, right? And, and anger, unrighteous anger, sinful anger in context there is what is to be put off. So Ephesians 4.31 says, get rid of... How much bitterness? Oh, and that all applies to all of these words. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, all brawling, all slander, along with, another 100% word, every form of malice. And so none of these are characteristic of a gospel response, right? These are things that, that the Lord's called us to put all of these away. And so... Yeah, sinful anger is, is the opposite of Christ-likeness. And that leads us then to the next strategy for dealing with anger. Uh, seek what brings glory to God in showing the love of Christ in all situations. All right? How do we seek to deal with, with biblical anger? Um, we seek to bring glory to God in showing the love of Christ. First Corinthians 10.31, it's whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Oftentimes we want to do all to the glory of self. And therefore when it doesn't go our way, we get sinfully angry. But if the focus is the glory of God, uh, it's, it's a whole different desire and perspective. As so you guys have heard this said, track one, um, I'm sure it's been stated there. I've probably stated it. There's only two options on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self, right? And if our aim is to please self, and that's not happening the way we want it to happen, then we're likely going to get sinfully angry. But if our aim is to please God, then we're going to see those things that come at us as opportunities, not things that make us angry, but rather as opportunities to show forth who God is in the midst of, of whatever the situation may be. And so the, the prayer then is that uh, the gospel would free us up, Second Corinthians 5.15 um, it would be the love of Christ that would compel us uh, knowing that he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Why do we get angry? Because we're living for ourselves. So no longer live for ourselves, but rather for him who for their sake died and was raised. And so when we put off selfishness, we're then freed to love God and love others. And so that brings us to the next principle. Seek to rest in God's sovereignty over your situation. Even when it doesn't seem to make sense, God, how could you be good in the midst of this? Lord, what are you doing? The temptation to be angry at him because we don't like what we're getting or we didn't get what we, we wanted. Uh, we need to, to trust him knowing that he does indeed work all things together for the good. Another principle, seek to saturate the heart with God's word. Right? When our heart is saturated with who God is, is revealed in his word and what he's called us to do in light of his word, then that becomes our focus uh, as we interact with others rather than wanting what we want. We want to want what God wants. And another principle, um, especially if you're counseling somebody and they're living in a difficult situation, difficult relationship, maybe somebody's visiting at Christmas and it never goes well, uh, whatever the, the situation may be, um, seek to leave vengeance to the Lord. And so Romans twelve nine, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
And the reality of it is when, when other people sin against us, um, does God need us to get sinfully angry to set things right? Does God need our help to exercise true justice and righteousness? I mean, he does call us in a human sense. Well, there are things we are to do. But ultimately, there's not a vacancy in the Trinity, right? And and so we need to trust him to do what only he can do, because only he knows the motives of the heart and can judge and, and bring about true justice as as it needs to be brought about. And then last, seek. Oh, there we go. Seek the good of others rather than sinning against them. And another gospel response, Romans 12, 20 through 21. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, let him starve to death. Is that what it says? No, of course not. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Okay, now what does that mean? I mean, that sounds like vengeance, doesn't it? Dumping burning coals on somebody's head? It's talking about literally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so by your kindness towards him and his evil, it might just prick his conscience that you're overcoming his evil with good, right? And so um, I think that would be a proper interpretation of that text, which then leads us then to to the last verse, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so when others do evil towards us, it's an opportunity to show God's love and kindness and mercy towards others all right so how do we do that practically um lovingly communicate to edify and to resolve the conflict okay lovingly communicate to edify and resolve the conflict and so going back to track one you've got the four rules of communication here right and so when we're sinned against um, we need to make sure as we communicate, obviously we're speaking the truth, we're doing so in love, but we're also being honest in our communication. Um, we're keeping current. Uh, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger, not the sun go down, lest you give the devil a foothold. In other words, resolve it in as a timely manner as you can, um, not in a sinful anger, but in, in seeking to resolve that. And we do that in part, verses 29 and 30, we attack the problem, not the person. Okay, here's the situation. How can we deal with this in a in a proper way rather than insulting the other person or, or whatever it may be? And the fourth principle, uh, Ephesians 4, 31, 32, is we want to act, uh, don't react. Reaction is verse 31, all those forms of sinful anger we're to put away with or put off. Verse 32 is how we are to act, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, right? That's what we want to pursue. We don't want to react sinfully. We want to act in the righteousness that is ours in Christ. All right. Um, another principle there as well is actively seek to bring resolution as far as it depends upon you. And so obviously there's wisdom issues in certain situations. Romans 12:18 says, if possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Okay, and so again, we can't make the other person honor the Lord, have peace with him and live peacefully, peacefully with you. But as far as it depends upon you, you can honor the Lord and seek to be biblically reconciled with that other person. All right. And so as we do that, a very important principle, um, when we get in a conflict, typically we want to look at the other person, point our finger at them. And if you wouldn't have. Or if you would have, right? And it's it's their fault type thing. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, 5, You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Right? And so as we humbly go before the Lord in light of conflicts where we're tempted to get sinfully angry, to ask him, Lord, help me to honor you in this. And and did I contribute to this? Is there something I should have done that I didn't do? Is there something I did I shouldn't have done? And take 100% ownership of our part of that before we seek to confront the other person. Okay? So that's part of how we can deal with conflict and, and anger biblically. Um, Lou Priolo suggests this, and this is great. Um, you know, if you struggle with, with anger, bitterness, resentment, as you're working with others, and, and you will if you do any 
measure of biblical counseling at all. These are some great questions to have people journal, and they're good for a lot of reasons. One, it gives you good data gathering so you understand exactly what's going on in their heart and their behavior, but also it helps them to see the patterns that are there. And so the four questions are this, what happened? And so what were the circumstances that provoked you to anger? You know, what was going on? Maybe, you know, somebody stole a a pen or or whatever it was. What happened? How did you respond? And so to that situation, how did you respond? What did you do? What did you say? How did you feel? How did you feel? Uh, Perhaps rejected, frustrated, lonely, bitter. And then the fourth question, what were you thinking? What did you want or what did you, back to James 4, what were you desiring? Okay, and so just to have them, you know, every time you get upset or angry, uh, take some time for the end of the day and journal your answers to these four questions. They're basically self-counseling. And then when you come back and you get a chance to talk to them about this, I would add in a few more questions. What did God want in the midst of the situation? What does it look like to to worship him, to glorify him in light of this opportunity? And how do you what is the significance of Christ in the midst of this struggle? Right. And so Keith Palmer said it really well several years ago in his session on the gospel biblical counseling. A skilled counselor will go from any life issue to the cross back to Christ. Right. And so in the midst of their struggle with anger, we want to take them back to the gospel. And so these are questions I've used a lot with my, my kids. Uh, if they get angry over something, ask these questions. And then ultimately, it's an opportunity to present the gospel. After the heart's been exposed, and we talked about the behavior and what God wanted them to do versus what they did, you know what? I'm a sinner just like you. I struggle with various things as well. Can I tell you the hope of the gospel for, for real help and, and the possibility to change? And gospel opportunity right there. All right. So some good questions to diagnose. All right. Um, yeah, this is you think through dealing with things biblically. Uh, we're going to have time to unpack all this. But you got this in track one, the peacemaker diagram in the midst of our anger. Basically, we've got three options. We can be a peace faker. We can kind of run away from the problem. We can be a peace uh, breaker. We can, in essence, attack the other person in light of the problem and sinful anger, or we can be a peacemaker and we can seek to, to deal with the situation in a, in a biblical way. And so obviously our, our aim is to honor Christ in the way we deal with, with conflicts. So number three, deal with anger also in a timely manner. We already talked about Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what happens if we let things build up? We just sweep it under the rug, keep sweeping under the rug. Yeah. At some point, if you sweep enough stuff under the rug, you're going to start tripping over it, right? Or it's going to start to stink. <laughs> and that's what happens with anger in the heart. If we don't deal with it biblically in a timely manner, we give the devil a foothold, right? So an illustration of this, um, some time ago, I was taking a big black trash bag full of nasty trash and dirty diapers uh, that were in the church that had been left there. And uh, as I was getting ready to put this in the dumpster, I grabbed this big bag and I'm swinging it up. The bottom comes out of the bag. And guess what goes literally all over the place? Yeah, and guess who gets to pick it up, <laughs> right? And so anger's like that. We We get angry, not a big deal. We don't deal with it in a timely manner. But in the course of time, you put that bit of anger into a, a fertile heart and you don't pluck it out. It turns into resentment and bitterness and things just get stinky and bad. And, and at some point, it's, it's all going to come out, right, in, in various ways, whether you know, you're eaten up by resentment and bitterness or whether you take it out on somebody else. And so we need to deal with anger in a biblical way. That's a gospel response. Another thing we need to do is persevere in prayer. Persevere in prayer. And so anxious people tend to also be angry people. You ever notice that? Maybe not done enough counseling yet to see that, but it's not always true, but there's oftentimes a correlation because, for instance, anxious people struggle in some ways to trust God. 
What do angry people also tend to do? Struggle to trust God. And when anxious people don't get what they want um, or they get something they don't want, um, then their the anxious anxiety grows. And also, same thing with anger. When we get what we didn't want or we don't get what we do want, um, we can get angry. And so similar heart issues here. And so it's important to identify those. But ultimately, in anger as well, uh, struggle with anger, we need to go to the Lord in prayer, right? Because he's the one that must grant us the grace to be changed from the heart level out. And so we, we pray. What do we pray? We pray the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes are a great prayer for those who struggle with anger. What's the very first one? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Truly happy, content are those who are poor in spirit. We understand our spiritual bankruptcy, our anger is a revelation that we are thinking too highly of ourselves. And we need to pray that the Lord would bring us to a place of of spiritual bankruptcy before him. Second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? Sin. Ultimately, all sin, but first and foremost, it ought to be our own sin, right? And sinful anger is a form of sin, and we should pray that the Lord would bring us to a point of godly sorrow and true repentance in light of... So you can keep going through the Beatitudes and pray the Beatitudes. Um, Going back to the IBCD toolkit uh, for dealing with anger, though, here's a suggestion in regards to prayer. Make a prayer list concerning people you are most tempted to be angry about. Ask these people what prayer requests they have. Pray for one person's prayer request each morning. Okay? Is it hard to be angry at people if you're praying for them biblically? Kind of puts things in perspective, right? It helps us, one, deal with our own heart. But also, what's Romans 12? Pray for your enemies, right? And so this is good. And and a great saying, this is by Kevin Carson as well, as we think about prayer and loving our enemies. He says that prayer or that um, love is the selfless care, concern, and subsequent action towards another, which is motivated by and models Christ's love. And as you're praying for others, you're then more likely to actually love them, even and especially if it's your enemies. Okay? And so that that's helpful as we think through how to deal with anger, especially from our heart towards others. We make it a matter of prayer. Do you think you could use the same strategy with somebody you were jealous of? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it could really be upsetting for... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, prayer is really... Our calling in all things, right? Yeah, in all things prayer, for sure. All right. A um, couple of resources here as we wrap up. Um, I've got to put these. Some of these should be in your handout. So they're they're all really good in different ways. Um, Robert Jones' book is a classic, Angry uh, or Angry God, the booklet, but then also his main book, um, Anger. Uh, and actually, that's the Clefno version now, Calming Your Heart. It's a newer publication of his big book uh, that's more palatable for most counselees that probably aren't going to read very much. And so I found booklets or books, if I'm going to give them something to read during the week to help them think through something more in addition to the text I give them, uh, that's a good one. Um, if if you have kids, I would highly recommend Lou Priolo's Getting to the Heart of Anger. Um, chapter two for me was huge. I didn't really think I had an anger issue till I had kids, right? Then it was kind of revealed. <laughs> I have great kids, but, but, uh, chapter two are 20 manifestations of how parents can provoke their kids to anger, right? In violation of Ephesians 6, 4, fathers not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in this instruction of the Lord. 25 manifestations, guilty of all of them to some degree. That was humbling. That revealed I needed some serious heart work. And I wasn't, like, abusive or anything with my kids. And they probably thought I was generally gentle with them. But it revealed my heart in, in areas that I needed to be sanctified in. And so that, that's a great tool, especially for parents. Um, and another great one, Stuart Scott, Anger, Anxiety, Fear, is, is just a wonderful, very helpful read for you and your counselee. All right. Any really quick questions as we wrap up? I don't want you to get angry because we went over time. So... Um, that that was the last session on courage. Yeah, that was called courage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
All right, very good. Well, let me pray for us. Uh, Father, we thank you that you have every right to be angry because you are holy and you have called your people to be holy. And yet we have all sinned and fallen short of your glory. And yet in your goodness, you sent your son that your wrath will be satisfied, not upon us, but upon him as our substitute. And Father, we thank you for that kindness and grace and mercy and pray that we would be people that would not be characterized by by our own sinful anger, but Father, people that would be characterized by the, the love and the grace and compassion and forgiveness you have manifested towards us. And even as others sin against us, even in horrible ways, Father, help us to point them back to the cross and to where justice was satisfied, where forgiveness is given, and where hope is found. And Father, as we work with others, uh, grant us the wisdom of your word to help them with this common temptation. And Father, that we would indeed be people who, by your grace, put off every form of, of sinful anger and instead are people that are characterized by kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiveness that others would watch us as your children and they would know that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. And so, Father, uh, grant us wisdom and enabling in these things in our own lives, in our own churches, and as we minister to others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.